How do the parents of special needs children care for them? In today's story, a mother of twins with special needs gives input on everyday struggles. Stay tuned. Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week I bring you stories that inspire, educate, and give you hope. I want to thank my sponsor and podcast producer, The Motivated Mind Group. Being the parent of a special needs child takes tremendous patience and strength. Your love doesn't waver, but your life dramatically changes. My guest today is a mother of not one, but two special needs children. They are twins, and her story will inspire you for sure. Please help me welcome my guest, Jane Anderson. Welcome, Jane. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I uh, I know you in a different way, in a different light in the community. You're very active. We just had an event that took place that was phenomenal. It was very fun. It was. You know, school's coming back in, so um, these kids are going to be very happy. They have all the supplies that they need. So good job, by the way. Thank you. It was wonderful to serve with everyone in the community last Saturday. And that comes to another thing is serving is such a good thing to do. Sometimes we just don't have enough time, right? Being professionals, being moms, having families, um, and just doing what we feel that we have enough time on the clock, which brings me to why you are here today. I understand you have another type of role, which is not just a volunteer and advocate and professional in our communities. You're a mother of twin. Well, you're you're a mother of four kids, but you have two twins who have special needs. That's correct. That's a full-time job. It is definitely a life path I did not expect and definitely takes a lot more time than I had anticipated. I'm going to probably add in there. No, I'm not probably. I'm going to. You have to have patience, too. Or you develop patience. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Anyone that's paying attention. So that word patience, which is not one of my favorite words. Nor mine. (laughs) No, but you have to acquire it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I commend you. Even though it's your everyday life, like anyone else has something going on in their life, they go, this is my life. Yeah. You know? But for someone who doesn't know that walk, I have to say I commend you because I have my own thing that people would I couldn't do it. And I'm like, well, I'm not saying that I couldn't. I'd have to learn how to. Yeah. Tell me who these twins are. So um, our twins are Matthew and Nathan. They're identical twins. So we actually had a lot of infertility issues. So they were the result of our seventh and final round of infertility issues. That was a whole nother journey. Um, But doing in vitro meant that there was a good chance we would have twins, but 40% of fraternal chins, that was kind of the the percentage chance, but these are identical twins. And people don't understand identical twins are actually a lot more risky than fraternal. And so if they're identical and they share a placenta, a small portion, maybe 10% of them, fall victim to what's called twin-twin transfusion. And this is a syndrome where one twin, they share bloodlines, and one twin gives all of his food to the other twin. So about half the time, baby A, who's the donor, dies in utero because they literally are starving themselves by giving their food to their twin. And if, but if they survive that smaller twin, they usually do better because they spend their life fighting, which is a really interesting analogy. Mm -hmm. Um, The one, the recipient twin who gets the food usually survives at a higher rate than the smaller one, uh, but they typically have more disabilities upon birth. And that's exactly what happened with ours. Um, I found out that I had 
identical twins early on. And then at about 18 weeks, there was a discordance in their fluid levels, and they were diagnosed with twin-twin transfusion. So I went on immediate flat bed rest, and I kind of went in every week, a couple times a week, just to see if they were alive, really, because it's, it's a very deadly disease for that smaller one. Um, we made it through a lot of bed rest, a lot of testing, a lot of extra medication to grow their lungs, and at 31 weeks, they were born um, through an emergency C-section because my bigger twin was going into heart failure, which okay. often happens. Okay, so now I have, I have to stop you there because I know there's a lot more you could share. What risk is it for you? You know, it, there was no f- a lot of physical risk for me, um, but there was a lot of, it was a lot of emotional um, problems that I had to work to. You know, we had fought so hard to get these twins, and the thought that I would lose one or both of them was very, very challenging. I also had a three-and-a-half-year-old at that time, so being on bed rest for over two months was challenging. So the emotional, so you, you already knew what the risk was for the babies you just described the twin twin transfusion transfusion yeah that would take a toll on me too knowing i went through all this to have babies then to find out that there's another risk involved too yeah it was very challenging every week to go in and just to see if they were alive Mm. um and then when they were born at 31 weeks it seemed pretty unremarkable Mm -hmm. they went on oxygen for a day but they were growing and they seemed to be doing well my my um, donor twin weighed in at two pounds, 12 ounces, Tiny. Nathan. Tiny. And then the other one was four, eight. So they were quite different, differently sized when they were born, but they seemed to be doing great. Um, with the exception of my smaller one got RSV in the NICU. He almost died in the NICU. That's a whole oh, another you're story. Making, <laughs> you're making my heart break. I'm, I know that they're what, 17 now? Yes. They went through a lot just to get where they're at today. They did. And, and, their NICU stays were fairly unremarkable outside of the RSV, but when my bigger one, Matthew, went to go home, they did a scan of his brain, and then unfortunately they discharged him. And once they discharged him, because it was RSV season, they couldn't bring us back in for any testing. So they gave us the results after he was technically discharged, and they came back and said, your son most likely has periventricular leukomalacia which was this long word that I didn't know anything about. And a nurse came and pulled me aside and basically said, if that is the case, he has significant brain loss. <gasps> really? And they said, we can't confirm it with the CT scan. We need to do an MRI. But because we discharged him, you need to take him home and take care of him. And when RSV season is done, bring him back in, and then we'll be able to do the scan and figure out. So they basically said, take him home, take care of him, watch him, wonder, and come back in about a month and a half, and then we'll be able to help you to know if that's the case. How unsettling is that? You can't come back. We don't know how long the season, you know, we think of the four seasons of, of, you know, but we don't think of seasons of time frame of health. Yeah. Oh, no. So it was, I mean, I literally would just pick him up and just stare at him and think, are you going to be okay? Oh, my gosh. And I just had to sit and wait. And we sure enough brought him back in, did the MRI, and his brain just, instead of appearing like a olive, I mean, a, a round, you know, white matter, there was just large spaces of black, which means that his brain bilaterally and diffusely was, had died. So, wow. 
I had to process that one for a second because when you think of um, a child that should be able to be here with all the functions, he comes into the world or she comes into the world with partial functions. Um, so there are disabilities. That's what we're talking about. What yes. are the disabilities with both of them? Because I know that they both have disabilities. What are they? So Nathan, who was the smaller one at first, who typically they do better, um, we noticed challenges early on. Um, he had some abnormalities in the frontal lobe of his brain, um, but serial scans showed that it wasn't progressive. And so we knew he might have issues with impulse control, um, maybe some other things. But as time went on, we started to suspect autism. So a higher level functioning of autism, he was delayed in all of his milestones, but he was talking, he was interacting, but he was also staring at fans and wouldn't interact with other children. So he was diagnosed quite late for a boy mm -hmm. at age 10 mm -hmm. um, with autism, um, as well as ADHD. And he he has come a long way. He just got his driver's license after uh -oh. after working on it for a couple years. Okay. We're, st we're still working on independent driving, but he passed the test. Okay. Um, he does a mix of resource and regular classes, um, and we anticipate he'll he'll go off to college. And um, but he he definitely struggles with with friends and social cues and and other things. But he's really really come a long way. Um, Matthew, however, we noticed from early on he wasn't tracking very well. Um, and I'd have to say one of the hardest moments of his early life was when we started to wonder if he wasn't seeing very well. And so we had someone from Foundation to blind, for Blind Children come in, which is an absolutely amazing organization here in the Valley. If you don't know about them, you should look into the amazing work that they do. I definitely will. Um, but we had someone from that from their office come in and they said you need to see an eye doctor <laughs> and I remember taking him in and the and the doctor did all these tests um and probably the hardest words of their young childhood was when he said I'm so sorry but your son has no visual perception oh no and this is the the younger of the two twins it's it's baby B yep so he was born second mm -hmm. he was the bigger one the one that received all the fluid so in due course, as they expected, he has more challenges. Um, but as a mom, I think the hardest thing was realizing I had been looking at my son. I had been, because as a mom, that's what you do is you try to interact. And that visual perception is so much of their learning from a young age. Oh. And to hear those words and realize he has never seen my face. <gasps> oh, but he seemed that he did, but he didn't. No. Oh. And I knew he wasn't, it didn't look like maybe he was tracking the same way that his twin was, but just that realization, those words were, were pretty hard to hear. We realized he had a damaged optic nerve, a smaller than normal optic nerve, and then any visual clues that came through all of that damaged, you know, eye stuff, when it got back to his brain, then his brain had trouble processing it as well. So of those three conditions, one can improve, and we've worked really hard to increase um, his ability to see things. So that's been so a big challenge. So he's completely blind? So blindness is a is an interesting term. It's really a spectrum. Okay. We think of it as all black or all white, mm -hmm. but people can be quote unquote blind and it's as if they see through wax paper 
or they can be blind and they just have large holes that are inconsistent from day to day. Um, Foundation for Blind Children works with doctors to map children's vision. So if you're cognitively normal, they can map a child's vision and understand where those deficiencies are. But with Matthew, with his cognitive abilities, that's just not something we've been able to do. So we just try to respond to what he seems to respond to and try to encourage him to continue to develop. You know, Jane, all the different things you're talking about, the struggle from day one and the things that we take for granted every day. I don't, but on an average, people take for granted like their eyesight, the ability to do the things that we do. And here you struggle. You don't struggle. You. This is what they do. This is. These are your children. This is who they are, and you help them as best as you can. And I'm sure they interact just fine because this is their norm, right? How do they act with one? How do they interact with one another? It's very interesting. Um, Matthew likes Nathan, but Nathan adores Matthew. I thought you were going to say the opposite. <laughs> I mean, they're siblings. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Matthew really likes Nathan, and he'll talk about him and and pretend like he's in songs. Matthew loves music because he's blind. Um, he just, apps, his hearing is acute. A different sensory that's been in high. Yeah. In, been high. He can tell it's Sunday because he can hear the type of shoes I'm walking to his room. Oh, that's awesome. So he can definitely tell. But so he'll insert his twin into different things. He'll listen to a song and say, oh, Nate's there, you know, that type of thing. But Nathan definitely feels a kinship to Matthew, likes to help him likes to take care of him um, but it's it's definitely been challenging I mean having twins alone is challenging to try to balance different needs but I remember at one point we had seven therapists coming to our house a week because both of my twins needed early intervention needed help but we were focusing a lot on Matthew because the deficiencies were greater and I remember I have this one video that is a little killer as a mom gets gets right to my heart we're trying to help Matthew to use his right arm and to throw a ball. And so it, the video, I'm saying, Matthew, throw the ball. We give him the ball. Matthew, throw the ball. And then you hear in the background this little voice, and it says, Nady, throw. And it was my son, Nathan, oh. kind of saying, I'm here too. So oh, feeling left out. Yeah, it's, been, it's definitely challenging. And my older son has borne his own challenges with, having these twins come right after him. There's about four years in between. But we certainly couldn't do everything we wanted to do with Sam, my oldest son. And when he went off to college, we just basically said we did the very best we could. And just said, we're sorry for the ways that we couldn't give you everything we wanted to. Please forgive us and please try to be better than we were. And Sam is wonderful. One thing with... um, All right. I need this. I need this. Thank I need you. This. <laughs> One thing with, uh, we also have a daughter that's four years younger. And we went through infertility and our daughter just came to us. So we think she's pretty special <laughs> at the end. But those are two more typical kids. Um, they've had to sacrifice a lot to be in our family. But they have a keen awareness of difference and a joy in sacrifice that I think a lot of our kids are lacking these days. So oh, for everything that we're not able to give them, they monetarily, trips, I mean, we can't do things as a family very often. But they have been given the gift of learning what it feels like to sacrifice, that they're not always the most important thing, that someone's other, someone other's needs might come before theirs. I don't like using the word 
disability. I've been corrected by some that say it's a different ability, and I will always say it's a different ability, but for those people who still use the term disability, I look at it as um, we are different, and you have a unique family with the things that you just shared that we had to get the clinics out for the first <laughs> time on our show, um, with the things we take again for granted, but the bond that is there too. And I am certain that your oldest son and your daughter will, when they go their own ways, because I don't believe that your other two will be able to go anywhere. They'll always be dependent upon you and your husband, but they will go out into the world having appreciation, know what the family dynamics are and respect other people that have a different ability. Yeah. It's, it definitely gives them a different skill set, and it's a skill set that's a little bit harder to teach and yeah. a little harder to settle deep into your heart. So with that being said, how do you as a parent and your husband, since he's not here to answer this question, mm-hmm. how is it that you guys have adapted to it? I mean, there's a lot of things that are being put on you. As we mentioned earlier, you can do stuff in the community, but your time is still limited. It is. It's definitely been a change. So for those that know me, type A is pretty much the best description of who I am. Um, I've always been very, very intent on what I would like to do. Um, I, I laugh, and my kids especially laugh. In high school, I was voted most likely to be famous. So I said, look at me now. Look at how famous I am. <laughs> um, but I definitely had things I wanted to do. You know, I started out my first job was on Wall Street as an investment banking analyst. I, you know, knew what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. And my husband and I kind of describe our life as pre-twins and post-twins. Um, he also, you know, was very intent on having a successful career he went to Harvard Business School. We were, you know, we had a path we were on, uh, and then we had our twins. And we really had to shift what our priorities are. Um, and we had to shift what our family relationships look like. Our family is very divided a lot of the time. Either he will go do things with kids or I will go do things with kids. We've had to negotiate certain things our family just won't be able to do. Um, and we try to make best do with, with what we have. It, isn't it funny how we all have this thought? We have this path and this vision of what we're going to do, and then all of a sudden, nope, we're changing it on you. Yeah, and it's it's very ironic because there's so much I want to do, um, and there's just a lot of limitations. Um, I don't know about that. I've seen where you've been lately, and I was <laughs> like, how did she go there? <laughs> You want to share where you were recently? I did go. We did go to Israel. Mm-hmm. So I had studied abroad there in college, and I had dreamed about going back. Um, and there's another amazing organization, if you don't know about Ryan House. I do. So Ryan House is amazing, and um, we've been involved with them for a long time. And so we were able to take a trip and go back to Israel. Um, and one of the neatest places, I'll just share real quickly about that, my favorite location um, was Capernaum. And there's a lot of places we don't know if what actually happened in different locations in the Holy Land, but Capernaum is, is pretty set. They believe they know the location of Peter's home. And there's a story in the Bible where four friends bring a man who's disabled and they lower him into Peter's home to be healed by Christ. And as a 20-year-old who was so confident, I knew exactly what life was going to look like. That was my favorite spot. Wow. And I in a way, you know, emotionally hobbled back into Capernaum when I returned this time. And 
I thought about those people lowering this man who was disabled, and I thought about all of my friends and family that literally have helped me. And the surety of where my life is going is so greatly decreased from, you know, how confident I was as a 20-year-old. Life has happened between now and then. And can I say something? Yeah. You went there with the 20-year-old mindset and vision, but you still got to go there. There was just a different appreciation. This is just my, my view of this. Yeah. There was a different appreciation of to something you went as, a, as the vision of a 20-year-old because now your life was that person that was putting a sacrifice of a disability, not one, but two. And look what you've done. You still got to go somewhere. Yeah, it was great. My husband and I sat on the, you know, right there at the Sea of Galilee, put our feet in the sea and just said, we're doing it. I know we're. I stalked you on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> if I couldn't go or don't know that I'll ever go, I at least had lived vicariously through you. Yeah, it was a it was a once in a lifetime. Ryan House is specifically for kids 18 and under and Matthew will turn 18 in January. Oh, wow. So this was our last hurrah, but we've been grateful to be able to travel. But think about how many other people will never get that opportunity because either they can't or they just don't think they ever dreams yeah. that they'll be able to fulfill a dream that they had. So, yeah, I always I never take anything for granted. Yeah. And, and I commend you for saying I can still go do this even though this is happening. As you already mentioned, life happens. It does. It, and and when we were on that trip, Matthew got sick and oh. had to be picked up by my, <laughs> my two sons vomiting in the back of the car. So... <laughs> Hey, my kids came through when we were we were still over there. <laughs> it's this, an experience of a lifetime they will never forget. They will not. <laughs> Sick or not. And the whole entire thing was an adventure. Yep. So that brings me a little bit further back then. How is it going to be moving forward as they get older? Because as we get older, there's a day that we're all going to pass away. And who's, how are the kids going to continue to do what they're doing? They're only 17. Yep. I don't know if college is an option for both of them, community college, or, or where their life goes from here. I don't know that part. Can you help us understand? Yeah. So Nathan is planning on going to Chandler Gilbert, I think. And, and I'm a good friends with Greg Peterson, and he does amazing things over there. So I think that will be a great fit for him. Um, he'll probably, oftentimes in, in our faith, um, our young men and young women go on year and a half or two year missions oh, wow. at the age of 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. Typically, they receive an assignment to go proselyte somewhere in the world. But we also have another mission, a type of mission called a service mission. And those are for people who may have emotional or physical disabilities, and they stay at home, and they basically serve in the community. They'll go work for free at local nonprofits and serve for about a year and a half or two years. So we anticipate, Nathan, will probably do a service mission, which I love because I know so many amazing organizations um, here in the Valley. And if you go in there, most of them have service missionaries. So that's probably his path for the next few years. I'm not sure what it looks like beyond that, but hey, we'll take a year to Horizon. That's good for us. So what's that going to do for you as a mom, knowing that these service missions will be out of your control and out of your home? I think he will do wonderfully there. Mm -hmm. um, I think he'll be valued. 
by the organizations that he serves in. I think it will be a great opportunity for him to feel like he's making a difference. Um, I think it's going to be a great experience because I know a lot of these nonprofit executive directors and people who work with volunteers and they just have the biggest hearts and mentioning patients, a lot of patients. So that's why they're where they're at. I I have a big passion for nonprofits, as you also know, with what I do in the community and what I do here. They're a resource for people that don't even know that they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's professions that don't always know what to do because it's a job versus a passion. And that's how I describe it. You know, you can get a job somewhere and anywhere, but are you passionate about that job? And so when you come to the nonprofits, I think it's a good match when you have people coming in there because they're like, this is what I want to do. And this is how I feel. It's not about getting the paycheck. It's about what I'm doing and serving. Yeah. So his, my oldest son went on a mission to Oklahoma City, speaking mm-hmm. Spanish for two years, teaching about, you know, Jesus Christ. Nathan will spend that same amount of time, but he'll just go and work in the community. So I'm really excited about that. So they'll go together? No. So Nathan, my oldest is up at school. He's in college. Uh Um, But Nathan will just, he'll have some sort of companion and people he works with here, but he'll stay at home and just go serve during the day in nonprofits. So So. I have one final question, but before I do, I do want to ask this other question because my final question is not related really to what I'm asking you, kind of. What would you say to someone who has a special needs child or children um, that has to learn patience or be able to be um, all that they can be to their child without having a burnout? Because I'm sure you get burned out sometimes. Just a few times. <laughs> I said a few times. You have a partner sometimes that can help you. and Maybe the partner doesn't. But when you have even a single parent that has to deal with the uh, different ability of one or two children at one time yeah it's very challenging um I think as a mom with my oldest I found a lot of how I worked through my own parenting was I found friends who were going through similar things and that made it so much easier because there was community it's very isolating when you receive a diagnosis for your child so I encourage parents to try to find places where you can find that community I think the hardest part for me as a parent hands down has been putting on and off my hat as a typical mom and a special needs mom sometimes being in those typical spaces and hearing about people's typical problems feels very hard and heavy when you know you what's awaiting you at home Mm -hmm. is so different Mm -hmm. you feel yourself pulling back from those typical friends even though you once related to what they were talking about it does feel very isolating So working through bitterness, um, working through the recognition that maybe the friends that you had before don't have the capacity to walk with you in the harder path is a really sad thing. I've had friends who just, it was too much for them. Um, I'm sure you can relate. And it's really sad. You And I honor those friends and I honor what they're able to do with their life, but it's sad when you realize that their journey with you in some ways just isn't going to continue. And so I've tried to find friends where I can be real about this is really hard for me. Um, And my group of friends is smaller than I anticipated it would be. But I know that those friends can stay with me. So I would encourage those those moms and dads to find people that can walk with you. Um, We don't have time. We're so busy. We don't have time to 
help others feel comfortable with where we're at. We just need people who can catch up to where we're at and can support us. It's funny, you gave me this visual and I, I was just having this conversation over the weekend. It's like, when you're younger, everybody is your friend, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody. And then as you get older, and as you had already mentioned, life happens. And then now you broke it down even more of having something that not everyone can relate to. And all of a sudden the circle gets smaller. The friends are, there's fewer. And that's when you have to rely on community, which then I think it can grow there too. But even then it's a challenge, no pun intended on the, the disability and challenges, but it becomes a challenge because then there's different areas of disabilities and how do you connect with those people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just had to give myself a lot of grace. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, and I just have to say I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. I think that's all we can do. doesn't yeah. matter where you are walking in your life. That's all we can do. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Now, I do have one final question. Yeah. If I only had one question to ask to think I knew about somebody, it would be this. What message would you like to leave everyone based on your journey of your life? Hmm. Now, if I would have had this ahead of time, <laughs> my answer would have been so articulate. <laughs> That's why it's off the cuff. Well, let me think about that. Can you repeat the question? Mm-hmm. Based on your journey of your life, what message would you like to leave everyone? I would say sometimes the hardest things become the greatest blessings. Mm. Mm. Um, my favorite scripture is in Isaiah 61.3, where it says, God can give you beauty for ashes. And as hard and as difficult and as challenging as the road that I feel like my family has walked, it has made me more perceptive to pain and suffering of those on the margins. And I would never want to be without that vision. Um, I remember when my son Sam was little, he had to do a six-word essay about his life. Let me see if I get this right. The essay was, Maddie, you make me see differently. Oh, wow. And the fact that Matthew is blind and he gives us this vision for our life, it's really beautiful. It's not easy, but it's beautiful. You hit me in my heart. You hit me in my feelers because I can relate to a journey that similar and it is it's the things that we take for granted and someone else will show you if you could only see or not see how I see you or see the world that was beautiful thank you well thank you for letting me share a little bit you are amazing (laughs) (laughs) and I appreciate all that you do in our community as well Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your family with us on social media because we all watch people on social media. <laughs> Living vicariously, I'm going to say. Yeah. What everyone else has for ulterior motives, that's on them. <laughs> thank you for being my guest. Thank you so much. This inspiring story was brought to you by MMG, your global creative agency based right here in downtown Chandler. Chandler.